Welcome to the Intuitive Mind Solutions Podcast, where we help people help people. Our vision is to support all the individuals out in the world who are helping others become better versions of themselves. We represent a group who create Intuitive Mind Solutions for the challenges in the world today. Human potential has been limited because we have forgotten that our true strength as humanity is the ability to work together. We will stand by your side, we will have your back, and we will do whatever we can do to support you and your vision to help others. Today, in this age of awakening, it is time to bring the intuitive minds of intuitive people together to awaken the rest of the world. We are here to bring together the right people at the right time to create the right solutions that the world needs in order to thrive. The Intuitive Mind Solutions Podcast is hosted by Dr. Matthew Bresky and co-hosted by Dr. Adrian Orain and Joshua Baudouins. Stay relaxed, everybody. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Dr. Matt Bresky from the Intuitive Mind Solutions, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Adrian Lorraine. Hi. And Joshua Butterwines, counselor of psychology. Hi. And today we have a very special guest, somebody who I got to meet last year, which was really a cool experience. He got actually was able to adjust me as well, which was really, really a benefit for me because I needed it. And we're here with Dr. Tom Preston, everybody. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Adrian, Josh, nice to uh, Hi, have you guys bright and early in the after night for you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the after night, yes. But we're very excited to have you because uh, I've looked into your program quite a bit and I think it's great what you're doing for people out there in the world and we just are here to um, yeah spread the word on what you're doing so everybody after the call in the notes after it in the comments will be the website links to his programs as well and it's www.fullcircle coachingandconsulting.com, correct? Yeah, it's a mouthful, but once you put it in once, you can uh, have it in your history forever. That's good. Our emails are the same week, so I get that. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have an intuitive mind to type in the email. Yeah. So if you want to just go into it, we'll give you the mic here to go into it and tell everybody that's listening about your programs and uh, just tell everybody what you do. Yeah, well, thanks for that, man. I appreciate uh, what you guys are doing to spread the word. Uh, I mean, we certainly have a mission to help people, and our, our, our mission is, is relatively straightforward. Our, it's to awaken individuals to the power of their authentic expression and help them realize their fullest potential, both personally and professionally. So that's our, that's our mission, and uh, largely we work in the healthcare space, particularly with, with you know, docs and chiropractors particularly, because that's my background, as you know. Um, and really what we... What, what I, I know to be true, Matt, is that there is an intelligence in the universe that, you know, chiropractic, we often refer to as universal intelligence, and there's a subset of that within us called innate. And my contention is, my offering is that that innate intelligence wants to, needs to, chooses to express itself in its most pure form. Because what I found uh, early on in my consulting career, which I've been doing now for you know, almost 25 years, is that there was a lot of people that were doing things and buying into other people's dreams and other people's values and other people's opinions and other people's goals and other people's priorities, and then beating the little crap out of themselves for not accomplishing whatever it was in their life. And the essence of that was is that they, they're, they're the true essence of who they were, what we call your most authentic self, didn't want to accomplish that because it wasn't true for them. It wasn't organic for them. It wasn't authentic for them. Right, and so literally, our program has four pillars to it: vision, focus, systems, and team. And so, this is why we coach people from all different uh, entrepreneurial walks of life—not big business so much because they move too damn slow—but entrepreneurial space, you know, small business people, because that model applies to anybody. So we start out always with what their vision is for their life and their business, their authentic vision. And a lot of times, we get a you know, pry through several layers of crap to get down to what's truly unique and authentic for that human being. What is it that, that their soul, if you will, wants to express, right? Once we get through that, the focus pillar is all the what's in the way. 
right? Because in my contention is that that, that that innate intelligence doesn't need any help from me or anybody to express itself. Zero. It's, it's programmed for success. Just like the human body is programmed for health as long as nothing interferes with it, right? So, but the stuff interferes with it. And so what is that stuff? Is it limiting beliefs? Is it fears? Is it undeveloped skill sets, undeveloped communication pathways, lack of leadership? I mean, there's a, just a plethora of stuff that could be underneath that, that pillar. As we move through this, we look at, start looking at the systems that would support that vision, and we look at the team that would support that vision. Because again, we work with you know, people that are doing seven figures a year and people that are doing you know, 80,000 a year. And neither one of those is a bigger or lesser success, in our opinion, as long as they're doing it their way. But the systems and team you need to support most seven-figure businesses are quite a bit different than an 80,000-year business, right? So that's why, again, it all starts with the vision. And obviously, I'm laying out a pretty linear sort of uh, model here, but it, it's not linear, right? It's holographic. But it's easier for me to describe if I lay it out, you know, linearly, right? Yeah. So again, that's kind of the, the, you know, the nickel tour through, you know, what we do and why we do it. How we do it is... Um, through our different programs, we've got, you know, two sort of main streams. One is in a group format and one, the other one is one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, some of it is done live. Some of it is done, a lot of it is done virtually over Zoom or, you know, different platforms. Uh, you know, email and, you know, different uh, uh, communication pathways like Marco Polo and all kinds of different, you know, apps that we use to communicate. But bottom line is to get really clear about who the human being is, what it is at their core that they want to express, where they are now, and what that gap is between where they are and where they want to go, right? And once we get that and we get crystal clarity, and then we'll spend as many weeks or months as it takes to get that clarity. Because once we do, it's just a cascade phenomenon, right? And now we can work our way backwards, reverse engineer basically from that certainty back to where they are and literally lay out the steps, what they need to do in space and time to go through that underneath the focus systems and team other aspects once we get the vision in place. So we usually start out, Matt, on the, on the short-term vision because, you know, it's like building a home. It's really tough to put the, you know, if you don't have a foundation or something to base it on, it's, it's hard to build a story up and then put a roof on, right? So we start out short-term, like, you know, six to 18-month vision. And then we can build on top of that, you know, uh, three to seven year and seven to 15 year and move on from that. Our average client's with us about three years. Although we've had some people with us for a year and they got what they needed and they, the way they went. I had one client with me for 11 years because every time we, every time we built a new layer, there was like a new door open for him. Right. And it was like, damn, this is possible and that's possible. And you know, we just kept working our way through. So um, we take a team approach to coaching. That used to be, uh, you know, me and a part-time uh, virtual VA, but uh, we now have a, a team of 11 of us. So we have a full-time admin trainers. Oh. We have a, our coaching team. Uh, we have our marketing people. Um, yeah. It's, Hell, you might even call it a business now instead of a, a one-off pop shop, bro. So uh, and we have a lot of fun doing what we're doing. I always figure that uh, several minds are better than one relative to coming up with solutions for things. So that's why we, uh, we take the team approach. So that's the uh, Nickel Plus Tour. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, I got some good questions now. I mean, well, just, yeah, the, that, happy it, to answer them. I think that's more than a nickel tour. That that's kind of maybe fifty cents at least. <laughs> that's pretty. <laughs> but uh, okay, so I have a few questions, and um, I guess the the barriers I think people are having that is to find their authenticity, and that's uh, that's where culture has kind of created this for people. So I imagine you have a lot of layers in people in people's conditioned life. And I, oh, I can imagine it gets emotional. I can imagine it gets a little messy. Um, so it it sure can. You, yeah. So how do you keep care of yourself when you're dealing with the, the stories of other people and you're going through that shit with them? Well, a great question. So, um, my day starts out and has started out very similarly for more than a decade, Matt. And I mean, uh, which involves me getting literally ready for my day so I can be the most, you know, the best version of me I can be. Uh, so I can be the best father, I can be the best husband I can be, the best coach I can be, the best business, you know, men I can be and stuff, right? So I invest a notable amount of time in the proactive preventative side so that if I get the shit kicked out of me through the day, it takes more to knock the stuff out of me, right? So that's my morning, that's my morning rituals, I call them, right? And I'm extremely dedicated to this, like OCD about this, right? Those first few hours of the day are Tom time, 
right? Where I can fill my cup. I can fill me to the point where uh, I can then give to others. Because my experience, Matt, is this, is that most people in the service industries and in, in, in entrepreneurship in general, they want to give and give and give and give so much to other people. And they're, they're servants, they're service-oriented mindsets. And I think that's amazing. But they want to like give through a fire hose, but they're receiving through a freaking straw, right? And what I'm referring to that is, and I believe that the universe, the physical universe, not the spirit side, the physical universe is set up in a binomial, right? You understand cold because you know hot. You understand, you know, like because you see dislike. You understand, uh, you know, dark because you see light, right? So give and receive are really just, you know, two sides of the same coin, in my opinion. So you want to give more, you got to be willing to receive more. And the binomial on receiving is self and other, right? So that's letting uh, other people serve you and love you and take care of you as well as you look after yourself, right? So my morning rituals matter all about me serving me, giving to me so I can give more to others. And that involves everything from morning meditation time to I'm a big student of Taoist Tai Chi and yoga as well as some form of, uh, you know, physical uh, exercise, either endurance or strength. And uh, that's, that's my first couple of hours of literally every day. And I, I'm actually really proud of this because I can be hard on myself too. I haven't missed a day, Matt, in over a decade. Uh, um, rain, shine, uh, traveling somewhere, speaking somewhere, you know, whatever I'm doing, it's, 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 that's, that's my grounding rod. That's my piece that allows me to, to be, who, be who I am. What time do you wake up in the morning? I'm an early morning guy. I'm, a, I'm a probably 5.30 on average. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the process of winding my, my wake up time down because of that productive, uh, the productivity you can get in those mornings. And I'm, I'm a night owl type of guy. I get, you know, that's why this for, for us is me and Josh worked into the, into the service industry. So we're, it's a difficult thing to switch from the night schedule to the morning getting up, but we know it's benefit and that's awesome. And that's a motivation for me. Yeah, for sure. Sure Well, my my mom tells a story that I was always just wired that way, Matt. So maybe it's a little bit easier for me. And she used to, I I, I mean, I think my mother loved me, but catch this, imagine this, right. As a parent, because I'm a parent of five, you know, five daughters. Um, Because I was a five, five thirty guy, even as a little youngster, my mom would make a bottle like a formula bottle and a peanut butter sandwich for God's sakes. And she'd put that at the end of my crib. So when I got up, I'd eat the peanut butter sandwich, drink the bottle, go back to sleep until seven ish when she thought it was okay to get up. <laughs> I can't imagine doing that to a one year old kid. Jeez, Moses and Mary. You're choking. Well, you know, she'd come in and I'm stone cold dead. But I think she loved me. I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, was the sandwich I imagine was delicious. <laughs> and, and she trusted she trusted that you would be fine i'm trusting that because apparently i'm still here and, and i don't know peanut butter sandwiches are kind of passe today because there's so many apparently allergies to it but anyways back in those days i didn't know anybody who had a peanut allergy so yeah whatever. that's maybe we'll draw that in our controversy card <laughs> <laughs> maybe so <laughs> josh or adrian you got any questions i got questions yeah me too so yeah go, go ahead Josh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Yeah, they're quite general, but for me it's important, <laughs> so I can uh, grab a little of the the coaching course that you uh, saw that I saw on your page. So, what is the most common thought pattern that stands in the way of success? Uh, good general question. We have three hours, right? That, that what I <laughs> you know what? I, I, you know, I, I would say, Josh, just going off of experience, that probably the most common one is some version of what I would call a limiting belief, right? Some, some, somebody that bought into somebody else's version of success or someone else who bought into somebody shooting them, in my opinion, a line of BS that said that you're, you're not enough right? Mm-hmm. You're the wrong skin color. You're the wrong sexual persuasion. You're the, you know, you're, you're, you're too this, you're too that, you're not enough of this, right? And so people buy into that nonsense as, as youngsters, young people in my experience. And that carries with them, you know, throughout their life, right? So then they get to this, to the, to the, an adult version of self, uh, which is where I commonly obviously meet them. And they're, who am I to 
you know, fill in the blank. Who am I to run a successful business? Who am I to grow my business? Who am I to make fill in the blank, 100,000 a year, a million a year, whatever the number is, right? But it all comes back to that, that, that self-doubt, that limiting belief that they have what it takes to do that. And my stock answer, guys, is right, is that, you know, one of my friends says it this way, God doesn't make any junk, right? We are literally programmed for success. It was born into us. It's part of the essence of who we are, not just our genetic makeup, I mean the essence of who we are, right? And uh, so uh, as long as we're clear about what it is that really makes us tick, what is it that really juices us up? What is it that's authentic for us, right? Because mm. again, the other piece which is kind of tied to that, Josh, in my experience, is there's so many people that are doing things that, that they're really not inspired to do. They're just, mm. it's, it's not, again, to use the word again and again and again, gentlemen, authentic, right? Find yeah. somebody else's version of what successful looks like. I got a dear friend who runs a very successful car dealership. He really wanted to be an architect. He's uh, in his early 50s and he's basically burnt out, right? Because he just, this is, this is, not, this is not what he really would love to do with his life. So, yeah. did I answer your question, Josh? Yeah, yeah, yeah answer, uh, you answered it and it's still something I struggle with today. So, but it's very clear, thank you. And uh, I have another question. It's even more general. What is the, the first and most important piece of advice you would give to a newbie on the way to success? Well, I would say, you know, again, get clear away the debris that is not, you know, your authentic self. But let me just dial into one specific activity, Josh, right? Because I, I, you know, I'm a student of the, uh, of the Tao Te Ching. Right. And in the very first stanzas of the Tao, they say that, you know, the Tao that can be named is not the true and eternal Tao. Right. So if we're truly a part of that essence, that Tao, that intelligence, the matrix that, that is in the universe, that to try and actually name it, you, you immediately limit it. Right. So to truly define someone's essence, we limit it. But the best tool that we found to to bring into uh, space and time the essence of who someone is, is a core values analysis. Right. So an action step I would offer, Josh, would be for people to go and do a core values analysis to get really clear about um, who they authentically are. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not a, a perfect tool, but it's a great tool. And it's one that we use. And we get people to do it uh, very, very early in our programs, because once we're crystal clear about their values and, and who they are, now we use that as a, as, a, as a litmus test for everything that they say and everything they do. Right. So like a very common question, a coaching team will ask somebody, say, so Josh, tell me how that serves your values. Right. And many times people go, uh, uh, you know, they don't know because they haven't thought it through. And many times if, if they can't see how it fits your values, it's because it doesn't. And because mm -hmm. they're buying it again to somebody else's visions and dreams and goals. And yeah. so therefore it's not authentic. And the probability of doing that is, 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 is really small. I've got actually a talk that I do, uh, Josh. It's called procrastinate your way to success <laughs> because I believe that everybody should procrastinate <laughs> on things that are not truly authentic for them, right? Things that aren't connected to their values and that are really at their core, it's procrastinate on that. Don't do that shit. <laughs> Delegate it out. Give it to somebody else or for God's sakes, just stop doing it because there's only so much time in a day, so much time in a week, so much time in a lifetime to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Stop doing it. Procrastinate. Please procrastinate on all the things that aren't authentic for you. And your mm -hmm. core values is really an exercise that can help dial into what it is that's authentic for you, Josh. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. That, that's good info. Perfect. Adrian, you got a question for me? Yeah, I have. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I have the, the privilege to uh, be a student of uh, Tom and uh, Coach Fraser. Uh, was. <clears throat> eye-opening for me on the mostly on the uh, abundance mindset mindset in that moment it was really like a, a, a big slap in my face um, <laughs> and uh, I got it still, too. Yeah, yeah. still worked on the on the still working today I still remember the the lessons so it's really cool um, my questions are <clears throat> uh, is, uh, do you still practice in a um, chiropractic office or not no, I sold my last practice in 2002, Adrian. Okay. So I, I have a, uh, um, I still see a few people every week out of the family room, right? But yeah. that's a hot room. That's not a, it's not Okay, a okay, practice. yeah. And, but uh, I tell you what, sorry, just a quick, quick, I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah. 
Go. I got great hands, man. I got great hands. I'm a great adjuster, and I don't want to lose that skill. So I make sure I keep I keep up with it by just okay. you know yeah. seeing my checking my family yeah. and those few people that I still look after. Okay, Good I'll be know. asking you again next time I see you. So I'll keep <laughs> you I'll keep you fresh. I appreciate that feedback, Matt. Yeah, um, I'll be yeah, asking so, you, Matt. Yes. My my uh, question: Did you uh, start the consulting? Uh, the this consulting co uh, business at the same time you uh, you, you were a chiropractor. Yeah, no, I started my consulting business about three-ish years before I retired, Adrian. Okay. Um, and uh, so that was in, I started consulting in um, like late 96, early 97. Okay. Um, and, and again, it wasn't like a divination process, gentlemen, when I started consulting. It was literally people just um, saw how I was choosing to build my business and live my life. And they said, well, you know, it was basically my my version of success, my definite success, which is the only one that matters for me, guys, is mine, which is the only one that should matter for you is yours, right? But my definite success was taking 10 to 12 weeks of holidays a year, working about a 25 to 27 hour work week and, and making a six figure salary. And some people said, well, how the hell do you do that? <laughs> so I was consulting long before I hung a shingle up because people yeah. were calling me, I'd go speak somewhere and I'd get phone calls and phone calls like, you know, in the pre-internet days, right? Okay. Yeah. So then one day, I was literally, I had a very, very, very busy practice. I had my five daughters and uh, I was doing all these phone calls for people. And finally I said to a guy one day, I said, you know, I, I'm really, I'd really love to help you. I said, I just, I, like, I, I just don't have time. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm out of integrity with other things that I value. And he goes, well, I could pay you. <laughs> and I'd be uh, a serial entrepreneur yeah. for the time I was a six-year-old <laughs> kid selling greeting cards door to door. I said, shit. Okay, let's have a conversation. And then I literally had to create the entire model that I worked through. And the, that four-pillar model I spoke about earlier, uh, vision, yeah. focus systems, and team maybe, I developed that because I actually had to – it was great exercise for me because I had to stop and realize how I had done what I'd done. And I realized there was a model I'd worked from. That I, and so I put the structure together. And yeah. it's the same model I've been using ever since I started consulting. If I ever find a better model, I'll change it. I just haven't found a better model. Yet. So okay. I find it to yeah. be apropos. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, my, my question was, um, how did you uh, manage to uh, having that the chiropractic office and starting the consulting business at yeah, the same time? Yeah, it's a great question because whenever you're doing a, a new you know a new startup, right? It's there's always a learning curve and there's always time. So what I did, uh, Adrian, is I really limited it to only I only had four clients those that my first year. Okay. Right. So I only had four clients. So I was really putting together the model and I was putting together the structure and, you know, the systems and so on and so forth. So I, I just kept it really small and I kind of worked out the bugs. Um, and then, you know, because my background's in healthcare and chiropractic, um, and there is a, a misguided perception in the world that chiropractors have something to do with low back pain. Um, and I was the chiropractor with the bad back, right? Uh, from my many years of uh, <clears throat> misguided youth. Uh, and some extracurricular activities that shall not be named. Um, but uh, if you saw my x-rays, they look like shit, quite frankly. I've got uh, uh, um, iatrogenic uh, L5-S1 spondylo. Uh, I have absolutely no disc left at L5. I have very little disc at uh, T10, T7, or uh, and, I, and C5. So, you know, I, I get beat up playing hockey as a kid, right? And okay. so I was paying yeah. a little bit of the price for that. So, so literally it was, uh, you know, I have a saying on one of my t-shirts for my retreats that I do. It says, the universe is always conspiring to support me, right? And the universe was conspiring to support me because about the time that I started consulting was about the time my back got really, really, really bad. Okay. Right? And I'm, I'm getting checked three, four times a week by my chiropractic colleagues. I'm seeing energy healers. I'm seeing Reiki therapists. I'm seeing massage. I'm seeing naturopaths. I mean, I'm doing everything I thought possible. And I was getting worse. Mm. Right, and that's, so I started to cut my hours in my chiropractic practice while I built up my consulting business. Okay, because right? the thing that hurt me more than anything isn't was adjusting and bending over the tables all day. Yeah. So it was like, you know what? I'm, my wife says I'm stubborn. I just say I'm determined. You know, but I lived <laughs> with unrelenting low back pain every minute of every waking minute of my life for three and a half years. Wow. And then finally, I said, I, I can't do this anymore. I just mm -hmm. I, I hit the wall and I. Uh, I, I chose to uh, step out and consult full time. Okay. That's quite a story. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And I, by the way, you know what? I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Unrelenting low back pain every minute of every day of your life uh, is not fun. It, it really is. It changes yeah. people. You know? And 
Especially when you're helping people for low back pain, it's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's interesting. My practice was, was probably not your typical chiropractic practice because I, I had a lot. It was 30% pediatrics. I saw a lot of families. It was much more wellness-based, you know. My PVA was over 200. So, I mean, people came and they usually stayed, right? So it was a different type of practice. But apparently there was, you know, some – there is a cultural meme that says the chiropractor is something to do with low back pain. So it was comical that, you know – the plumber with the leaky toilet, the chiropractor with the bad <laughs> You know, whatever, right? <laughs> but it all happened for a reason, and that reason served me, and, that, and, that, yep. and that's really the key. Because now indirectly, guys, I see thousands and thousands of people a week indirectly through our client base versus yep. the hundreds they used to see as a chiropractor, right? So yeah. It all, it's all just not better or worse. It's just different scales of, of economy. That's yeah, that, that pain served you, and you, you took the you, – you saw the – opportunity in there so great yeah, for, sure. for you yeah on that. appreciate yeah. that feedback uh the the other question is uh if you have a consulting business and a coaching business who coaches you then yeah great question <coughs> i've had uh, some coaches that i've had uh, on and off over the years i think mm -hmm. um so one of my great mentors in life is uh, somebody you may be aware of dr john Demartini. Uh, yeah been a great mentor in, in my life uh, my current coach is a gentleman out of Toronto. His name's uh, Dan Sullivan. Uh, it's a company called Strategic Coach. So okay. that's who I'm, uh, I'm currently with. Um, and it's one of the uh, metrics for all of our coaches. Our coaches must be coached in order yeah. to be a coach, right? It just seemed, would seem kind of hypocritical to, to not have that as part of the process, right? Yeah. Yep. Dr. Dan is good. Yeah. Went to college with him. <sighs> Oh, sorry, not, not Dr. Dan Sullivan, just oh, Dan Sullivan. He's Dan. a he's, okay. yeah, same name, just not a doc. He's oh, okay, a, uh, so different. He, yeah, he's a, he runs a company called Strategic Coach, which is a, uh, he's been doing this for 47 years. Um, he's in the entrepreneurial wow. space in North America. He's, 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 he's pretty legendary. Helped a lot of entrepreneurs do more with what they have to work with, basically. Okay. Yeah. Never heard the name. So. Yeah. Okay, good. So cool. everybody listening, get a coach. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Dr. Tom has a good program. So, um, yeah, okay. I can I can uh, do a testimony on that. Yeah, <laughs> appreciate that, Adrian. So, um, appreciate your help, Tom. Yeah. I had just one really quick question. Uh, kind of relates to what Adrian was saying in the beginning. Um, a scarcity versus abundance. What's mm -hmm. one tip you can give the people listening now if they're kind of in a at a point to where they're overcoming that. I'll tell you one, one quick, very practical tip, Matt. Carry some freaking cash in your pocket. I mean, seriously. Mark Victor Hansen, the guy that wrote the Chicken Soup for the Soul series of books years, you know, forever ago, he told me that. He says, always keep in your pocket as much cash as you want to make in a day. And I bought into that, and I used to, I used to carry between five dollars and $10,000 cash in my pocket at any given time. But once the Canadian government outlawed $1,000 bills, it got bloody bulky. <laughs> so, so, so now I probably I keep, you know, about a thousand bucks on me at any given time, just in my pocket. Um, and it's amazing. You know what, guys? It's like cash is still king. I don't give a crap where you live in the world. Cash is still king. People say, oh, but you could have a plastic card. Yeah, you know what? Do that when the hydro goes out. What are you going to do with your plastic card then? You ain't buying anything, right? And so, and again, there's something for me tangible about just just touching it and feeling it and stuff, right? So that's a very pragmatic, you know, tip that you could use, you know, on a regular basis. But I can tell you that there is a massive scarcity consciousness in the world, and I can see it in others because, you know, I grew up with one. God bless my parents. I love them to death. My dad's 84 years, sorry, 83 years old. He still has a mortgage on his house, for God's sakes. You know, I, I don't know how you define abundance, but I'm pretty sure having a mortgage in your 80s, probably isn't a part of abundance consciousness, right? So yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, um, the, the psychology, Josh, right, of, of our mindset is, is um, brought into us culturally and by the modeling we have, you know, from our parents, right? Yep. So my parents were both just blue-collar, hard-working folks, right? My dad literally was Paul Friggin Bunyan. He was a lumberjack, right? And, you know, lumberjacks make their living in the outdoors. It's probably one of the reasons I love the outdoors so much. But uh, they also, with a very, it's a very unpredictable, unstable job because, you know, crazy cold in Canada at times and then it, and then it rains in February, right? 
And then, you know, there's a floods that happen and forest fires that happen and all kinds of things. So, so from the entrepreneurial space, you know, my dad struggled at that. And my mom was a secretary at a local high school, you know. Um, so that was kind of the modeling that I, that I grew up with. And so I just knew that there was things I wanted to manifest and accomplish in my life that, that I needed to confront the programming that I had around money and what it was, right? So there's several great books out there, right? And I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of reading. Um, and I'll tell you one, it's a real general book. It's not specifically around money, but, it, but, it, but the mindset of, of the power of the human mind. It's my favorite book of all time. I'm, I'm literally right now, I'm in the process of rereading it for the fourth time. It's Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. And uh, that book is, uh, I think, uh, just a seminal piece of writing. It's certainly my favorite book of all time, which is why I'm reading it for the fourth time. I will, I will warn people, it's a big read. Okay, it's like, depending upon the print, the book, it's about 1,500 pages, took her eight years to write. Um, but uh, literally, I was uh, about 14 or 15 years ago, I was reading a Forbes article on the top books that a C, the top Fortune 500 CEOs would recommend. And literally, uh, Atlas Shrugged was either number one or two in every, every Fortune 500 CEO, right? So it talks about the power of the human mind. It talks about the, the, the power of the individual to manifest, right? Which is really a, a piece, a fundamental mindset piece around, you know, abundance, right? But, uh, you know, really, another little piece, Matt, that I want to be sure I communicate to the audience is that, you know, the amount of money that you manifest in your life is really just a byproduct of how much service you offer humanity, right? So my wife and I have had the privilege of doing quite well financially. Everything is relative. And when you're comparing yourself to an 83-year-old dad with a mortgage, <laughs> it's not tough to, to say that, you know, you did a little better. Um, but again, everything's relative. So compared to Bill Gates, I, 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 can, I, you know, I don't have anything. But compared to where I wanted to be at this stage in my life, my wife and I have done well financially. But the thing that excites us the most is that that is just a representation of all the value we've added to so many people's lives. Whether it's through my years as a hands-on chiropractor and changing and helping people be healthier and, and happier and, and more wellness-oriented, uh, or whether it's as a coach consultant and the literally scrapbooks I have, textbooks I have of the testimonials and the gratitude that the people have given, like Adrian, you offered. Uh, I mean, that just warms my soul, right? Because I know it's all about exchange, right? It's all about the, Ayn Rand talks about the code of the trader, where you're exchanging your service for someone else's uh, service, but the intermediary is money, right? And I can tell you one more book that made a big impact on me. It's dry as Melbatos, so it takes a little bit of uh, courage to get through it. Uh, but it's written by a guy named Neil Ferguson. And it's called The Ascent of Money, which literally talks about the, the, the origin of money, right? And how it got started. Because, of course, in the old days, we used to barter stuff, right? You know, I, I would be a chicken farmer and Adrian would be a wheat farmer. And, you know, I'd give him three chickens for a, you know, a, 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 a sheaf of oats or wheat, or wheat so I could make bread. Well, it was kind of confusion. How many chickens are worth of how many things of, you know, wheat? So they went to the gold standard and then eventually went to paper money. That's the uh, very quick version through a 300-page book. But when you understand the history of money, it helps you to understand what it is. And it's just an exchange of energy. It's all it is. So once you help reposition people's minds around that and they realize what it really is, a lot of the garbage and debris that people have stuck away in their conscious minds, modeled from, you know, parent, teacher, preacher, friends, whatever, once that starts to disintegrate, my experience, people start to get freedom from those, that baggage. And usually, not always, but usually their productivity skyrockets and their appreciation of what they have skyrockets as well. So that's been my experience in the, my, my consulting career. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really good for me to hear, for anybody listening, I think also to hear. Okay, so now we're going to go to the next bit in the show. A uh, little bit of comedy culture comedy, I guess we can call it. And I'm going to find a couple. I'm, I got a book of Dutch expressions. And I'm going to pick a couple out. And Josh will translate it. And then you got to guess what it means. It's kind of like the raining cats and dogs. Like, what does it mean? Okay. <laughs> but it's going to be like an expression that the Dutch have. Okay. Fuchia. Uh, okay. The subject here is small foot, and the saying is in in wit fuchia Holland. What does that mean in English, Josh? To get a little white foot. To, to get a little white foot. To get a little white foot with somebody. That's <laughs> actually where it 
get a little wide foot with somebody like a yeah. white like the color the white the color oh the color white i thought you said wide as in not narrow yeah. <laughs> no white get a little white foot with somebody yeah <laughs> <laughs> um you know what i'm uh i'm gonna be totally guessing here but it sounds a little sexual actually i don't know it's uh i'm not sure the context of that guys so uh <laughs> okay. <it> could be <laughs> I'm 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 uh, I'm I'm open to learning about Dutch culture right now. All right, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's a good um, answer. It, it means that uh, to be in somebody's favor. Ah, to Ooh. be in somebody's favor. Okay, cool. I'll uh, so have like, to try that one on my Dutch son-in-law. <laughs> Dutch heritage son-in-law. Let me be clear. <laughs> uh, anything else it means, Josh? To have somebody's favor, like. To be in somebody's favor, uh, to uh, so actually you can. They will take more shit of you than somebody else. That's what. I mean. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Hmm. All right. We're gonna pick another one here. So Matt, I got a wide foot, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this one has to do with a door, like a door. So it says, "Mit the door in house fallen." Yeah. Uh, to fall with the door inside your house. So it means like you fall inside your house and you take the door with you. Actually, you could say to fall through the door in somebody's house. Hmm. Even to taking the door with the you. Door in someone's house. That's kind of what it means. Yeah. That, that's. Uh, the the translation. It sounds like you're crashing a party to me. I don't know. I'm <laughs> yeah, that could be a good Something one. Like that. Yeah, it's in the right direction. Right direction. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm picking up a little Dutch uh, culture here from you know across the internet. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Um, it means uh, getting straight to the point without any delay or something like that. Huh. Without any introduction, just skip everything and uh, ask so, you. So no hello, no, no nothing, like a boss <laughs> no coming problem. in and say, clean the damn floor. Yeah. Without hello, how are there's you? A, there's a, uh, a gentleman I bought some real estate from in the province of Quebec in Canada. It's our French-speaking uh, province. And uh, he, uh, he had a saying, and the translation was, and I'll try and clean this up a little bit, but he goes, you know, uh, in his good French-Canadian accent, he goes, uh, Dr. Tom, I like to work with you. He says, uh, we have a saying in French, uh, you don't screw around with the puck. <laughs> <laughs> what? Using a hockey terminology, right? So okay. I'll clean that up a little bit just for the audience. But, uh, yeah, it made me smile. <laughs> Awesome. So that's going to be the comedy bit because I want to get into the the next final part of the show where I got a, a little box of topics on these little cards here. And we've drawn a we've drawn about a dozen out out of here already and there's probably still 30 left. So if you didn't hear episode number 2 with uh Dr. Kevin Jurena then you didn't hear the list. <laughs> so and like i said before you can pass if you just say pass that's not a good one all right fair i have a feeling these could be and, slightly controversial matt <laughs> yeah and i don't even know what it's going to be so this is very unscripted for us all love the unscripted nature how you feel about religion <laughs> i have the odd opinion about that <laughs> Okay, are you? Is that something you want to go into? Well, it depends what the question is. So, the controversy behind religion in the world today, and its truths, its falsehoods, and misinformation that we're given on what you know is true and what we've been taught to believe, I guess, because we all grew up in a different era than it is now, and you grew up even different era than us. And your parents also different. So the the changes that I've seen in religion happen since it was since I was a little kid is incredible. So 
I guess we could go into religion as a controversy as what is it what is religion's agenda for humanity and has it been has it been tainted you know wow that is a uh, that is a broad topic Matt. yeah sure. i think so <laughs> let, let me just you know because you asked my opinion this is personally just my personal opinion um i think there's a big distinction between um someone who's religious and someone who's spiritual right because i would say that i'm not a particularly religious person even though i grew up in a fundamentalist christian background um but i'm a deeply spiritual person and I think we said off camera, but I just spent 30 days in my wilderness lodge um, where, you know, the wilderness, nature, that's my cathedral. That's my synagogue. That's my church, right? Because that's, I mean, one of my friends says, he says, you know, where is God not? Um, but it's just easier for me to see the presence of the universal intelligence that I call God in nature, right? You can see it anywhere, but I see it there easier. Right. So, you know, I don't want to whitewash all religions with the same brush because I, I don't know all religions. And apparently there's hundreds and hundreds of different variations of them. But I would say that, you know, human beings have an innate desire to understand spiritual things. That's just my observation. And they understand the deeper questions of, you know, um, who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? Right. Those are like the three big questions. And so people... Uh, had opinions about that or formed or there were prophets that came, you know, whether you're talking about Muhammad or, or Jesus Christ or whatever, there's different prophets that have come and offered interpretations of that. And then my experience with my study, limited study of religion, I read several books on it, is that people then follow that and they adopt that, but they often take the, uh, they miss the essence of, of what I think the teachings are. And they take a lot of the teachings as literal teachings instead of, instead of uh, essence teachings. Right? And they get all caught up in the dogma and the, and the scripting and the stuff, right? And particularly in the old English, right? Like one that I have done some research on that is literally the English word love, right? Most confusing freaking word on the planet, right? Because, you know, I'm supposed to love my wife, but I love my wife different than I love my children. And I'm supposed to love my neighbor, my neighbor's wife, but, but not too much, you know? And it's like, you know, it's the same word. And when I traced it back, this is my, my, my own research. I found out that when the monks translated, uh, they translated some of the old ancient Hebrew, right, and, and, and some of those early um, writings that the Bible was written in, and they basically took a series of words and they all translated in the same word, love. So you've got agape, which is seeking someone's highest good, they called that love. Uh, philo or philia, which is like brotherly love, they just called the English word love. Eros, the erotic sexual intimacy, they called that love right? Storge, which is like a community service, neighborly love. They called that love. Well, no wonder we're so freaking confused about the word love, right? Because if you go back to the early writings, the early Greek and Hebrew writings, it, it was translated by someone's interpretation of that. But then somebody takes that interpretation that and they, they, they could or did build a religion around it, right? And then people follow it to the letter of the law. So I, I would offer this perspective is that, you know, any path to God is a good path, right? But, but what, what, there's been more people killed in this, on this planet over the yeah. name of religion because yeah. their path to God is different than mine, so different must be wrong. Different doesn't, isn't necessarily wrong, it's just different, right? And, and, it, and it's, it's when you get into the, the, the brutality of, of organized religion um, that I think we, we really cross some sort of a barrier. And to answer another part of the question that you asked, is like, you know, it has been my experience, in my opinion, that there are certain religions that eventually what it boils down to is power and control, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Whoever had the most power and control also had the most money. And so there are religions that I think of, uh, I don't know that they started from that base, but they evolved into a place where it was about power and control. And I think one of the reasons that we're seeing shifts in, in, in that construct in our world uh, is because, you know, we're no longer uh, ignorant peasants who had to have stained glass to tell stories on the, on the cathedrals, <laughs> right? We have, you know, um, a much more literate society than we've ever had before. Uh, the internet is doing, um, it, it has its dark side, but it has also great ways to disseminate information, much like what you guys are doing, right? And so I think we have a more, um, some more thinking people that are saying, you know, um, let me just think this through and not just accept what my grandfather, grandmother, mother, father, whatever told me. Um, my, my, my journey, Matt, was in my fundamentalist Christian background. I started asking questions at 12 that no one could answer to my satisfaction. 
And it was like, well, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it was my free thinking <laughs> that turned me into a spiritualist and, and uh, you know, a way. But if I go back and I have conversations with some of those people, you know, even my father, um, you know, back into what the, the essence of what it was, I'm practicing the essence of all that stuff, but I just don't package it under the thing called religion. Yeah. That's, um, so that's my story. Wow. That's, you sum it up so, so perfectly because, you know, I've always said that people in, you know, that worship and, uh, you know, various religions, there's a problem when the belief system that's created by this religion is contradicted by the actions of these people. And so all the death, all the, all the destruction because of it, it's, it's a very hypocritical type of situation. And we kind of have to stop give people that freedom to practice whatever religion they want, as long as that falls within the golden rule, which sits in all the religions. It's just written differently, like the word love and yeah. defined differently. And if everybody's actions were the, were in coherence and continuity with their beliefs, we wouldn't be dealing with so much death in the world. And that's where it makes me sad because it, it, it should have never been that way. And it was. I concur. I would offer this, Matt, right? Is that, you know, um, everything happens for a reason that reason serves. So somewhere, like, and it might be a century from now, you know, some of these crazy times that have happened in the last 200 years, three, four, 500 years, and I think there'll be some um, higher order to that that I can't see. I'm not wise enough to see it now, but I have trust or awareness that, that there will be some, some benefits that will come out of some of that stuff. Right. Um, so anyways, yeah, I, uh, I, don't, I, I don't call that so much blind faith to do awareness. Awareness that, yeah, I think everything will come together and then the diversity that's represented within all the religions will actually, I think, transform into the strength of humanity. I yeah, I agree. And you know, that's like what you do with your work and the teams you build. And that's kind of our, our philosophy here with the intuitive mind solutions is creating the right minds together. And this will lead into our next question uh, as well, but the right minds together can accomplish anything. The potential of cooperation is so incredible that we haven't even tapped into it as humans because of the cultural conditioning construct that is kind of creating a system of uh, sheep, I guess. I don't want to say that word, but people that don't think freely or logically for themselves anymore. Yeah. That just go ahead with whatever they're told to believe. And if we can take anything away from that, uh, people that are listening is just be brave enough to be free to think and feel how your authentic self wants to. Couldn't say it any better. I'll tell you, I'll reference one other book. Matt, I reference several of this call for some reason, but I read one this summer uh, by a guy named Matt Ridley um, called The Rational Optimist. And uh, he takes some of the things you just said about how the power of the human mind to collaborate and innovate is, has, has and always will solve the problems of humanity, right? And uh, he gives, it's, it's a very academic-oriented book, so it's a bit dry, but man, I tell you, he's got just a plethora of examples through history, going way back to the Ming Dynasty in China, of times where the human mind has really been the key. And the book I referenced earlier, At the Shrug by Ayn Rand, she talks, I mean, that book is all about the power of the human mind. So um, it's, uh, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, brother. People got their homework to do. And I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that. Yeah. that audio There's 2,000 pages to tweet. <laughs> 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 no, yeah. That's, 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 uh, that's after you guys get off this call. You can start that. Yeah. <laughs> Adrian, uh, do you have anything to go with the religion thing? Um, for me, the, the, what I always separated it is that the religion as uh, the intention with which you started <clears throat> and the structure. So the, uh, the, in the Christian religions, uh, the, the actual... Uh, message of Jesus and then the the church by itself because the then the church is actually what brings the uh, gathers the power and uh, keep it secret <clears throat> and that's where the for me the, the whole thing of uh, uh, inferiority and superiority complex uh, is very 
um, yeah, very concentrated in those uh, in those structures actually, because you can talk about Christian Christian religion, but uh, even if you go into uh, Buddhism, uh, you have that too. You have those uh, disconnections and. Uh, uh, Buddhists that uh, that don't want violence uh, for any sentient beings, uh, but and uh, um, wanting to be vegan, but they actually eat meat, and it's it's kind of a an, an um, disconnection really, really uh, on all planes because of that. And um, uh, for me, it's very like a uh, religion out of the message of the the few people awakened people that started this this movement uh has always been uh, very disconnected because they, first they're secret so the the more secret we can reveal and br- bring to the surface the the better the faster we're going to heal from those conditionings and uh and and what they want now is keep the keep it secret even more than before because they they feel threatened the those structures so it's uh yeah it's secret uh, hierarchy uh, of uh having people doing all the dirty work and then all the few people at the top gathering everything uh, all the money all the power and uh, having that that's that's where the disconnect is yeah, for sure. I gotta throw another. I gotta throw another book out. I'm, I'm just compelled, guys. I, I didn't know. Okay, I didn't know. I was like a walking library today. But Houston Smith's "The Religions of the World" is just a phenomenal summary of of the main religions of the world today. And uh, when I read that 20 years ago, it was a game changer for me. So, Houston Smith's "The Religions of the World." Another book to read. Now you got 2,600 pages to read. Yeah, that's okay. good. If you want a few hundred, if you want a few hundred more. Can read the uh, Power vs. Force of uh, um, David Hawkins. Yeah, Hawkins. Yeah, I've seen. Um, he he talks. Well, he, he, in this book, he talks about the different level of consciousness and uh, different levels of consciousness of, of the several religions and the ramifications in, inside those religions. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, love that. What book. was it? What was the name of it, Adrian? Power vs. Uh, force. Power vs. Force. Okay, David Hawkins. He's like a little, uh, I've seen him speak several times. He, he, I don't know if he's still with us on the planet, but he's no. like a little leprechaun of a man, but a brilliant, brilliant mind. So. The, the, I think he passed away 20 years ago or something like this. Yeah. Uh, the more. name of that last book, Tom, was what that you said? Houston Smith is the, no, is the, the one before that. It was, uh, well, that, was, that was the world's religions. What was the, the one, there was one before that? Yeah. You know uh, Ferguson's uh, The Ascent of Money? Did you get that one? Yeah. Atlas Shrugged. And then the, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, I know the Rational Optimist by Matt Ridley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Rational Optimist. Yeah, that was a that was a good read this summer. I consider myself the ideal ideal optimist, the <laughs> idealistic <laughs> optimist. <laughs> so I have just real quick a, a, a couple. Of, let's not call them controversies, but maybe they're kind of something for people to think about. My friend's dad had an interesting theory about Jesus and the comparison of the Old and the New Testament. And he said, if you just add Buddhism to the Old Testament, then you have the New Testament. <laughs> and he, 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 he theorized that Jesus went to the Buddhist monks and learned quite a bit when he went on his uh, vision quest or whatever. And so that's interesting to contemplate. Well, that, that's what they say, yeah. It's a, yeah. yeah. Then another friend of mine is also doing research on the energetic uh, potential of the churches and their locations where they're placed and how the energy that the, and how the structure is built and how it can create an energy, even with the earth's uh, electromagnetic field. And he's kind of going from church to church and he's studying the energetic effects it has. So that's also interesting. I, I, I love that. Uh, that's cool stuff it's cool stuff so the next and last question for you tom is going to be our bonus question we ask everybody this so we can see what what maybe you can kind of fabricate uh 
with the with your answer is the question is basically what do you think the world could use and it can be something that doesn't exist yet what do you think the world could use in order to make it a better for the future generations like can be any tangible thing that the world could use like if the right minds come together to invent to create and this is where your creative side gets to come into play <laughs> well the first two words that jumped to mind matt was the world could use more awareness because my teacher I, I study a lot of indigenous cultures here in, in north america and uh, you know he the, my, my teacher stocking wolf who's an apache medicine man uh, his writings i didn't know him personally but he talks about how um awareness is next to spirituality so one of my one of my little uh, mantra sayings to my kids when they were young is he said be aware of your surroundings be aware of your surroundings, right? And I used to drive them crazy and they'd go, oh, dad, for God's sakes, would you shut up about that? <laughs> then they went out into the world and they realized how unaware most people are, right? So awareness to me, Matt, goes into a lot of realms, right? It's awareness of, of yourself and your role in the world and who you are, your authentic self. It's awareness of other and their needs, right? And if people operated from a place of agape love, seeking others' highest good, right? That would, to me, would be that like the fundamental mindset shift that I would love to see that you know that the Earth could use. Because if you if you come from that space, Matt, then the innovation and collaboration that's needed that you guys are promoting with your with your work as well, um, the innovation and collaboration we need to solve whatever the world's problems are, whether they're environmental or or they're um, you know ecological in some ways, or they're population oriented, or they're healthcare oriented, or whatever. I I just I have. Uh, and uh, an awareness, a trust that we can solve those if we just had more awareness of self and others, our role in the world, what we're here to do, what we're not here to do, and then just did our part, right? Mm -hmm. Like just do your piece. Let other people do their things. Because I got to this point, Matt, with that, with that thinking about anything that's not authentic for me, I'm just being a selfish prick by doing it. Because I'm robbing somebody that truly gets an intrinsic joy out of doing that, whether it's sweeping a floor or painting a car or, or selling a shoe or whatever it is, right? I'm being a selfish jerk by doing that and robbing somebody else of their you know, intrinsic joy. And I tell you what, it's not gonna be done as well. Quick story, I was at a prophet's conference where I actually heard David Hawkins speak many years ago in, in, uh, in Palm Springs, California. And I went to the local Starbucks store to get, a, uh, you know, to get my morning coffee. And the barista there was a, really a sharp, young girl and by the third day i'm just walking in at around the same time she's already got my drink ready and i tell you what it was the same drink i've had all over the world but i tell you what you know what? there was just something special about that and i said to her i hmm. said uh i said you love what you do don't you and she kind of young girl she kind of blushed and she goes actually yeah i do it's it's not anything special i said no it's special because i said this coffee is made with something extra something special hmm. something hmm. from within you I said, I'm going to bet you're very good at your job. And she kind of smiled. She goes proudly. She goes, actually, I was Starbucks Southwestern United States Employee of the Year last year. And I went, it shows, sweetheart. It shows, right? Because when you're doing something that you feel or organically and authentically driven to do and you have the awareness of that and you're willing to have the courage to do that and learn how to do that and learn how to do it better and better and let other people do the things that they're driven to do, Man, I really do think that this little green and blue planet would spin easier on its axis. I, I, in every fiber of my being, I know that to be true. So we got to get this program started, and we got to incorporate it and integrate it into the schools. Yes, sir. As young as possible, and then we can get their gifts that people have. And yeah, and that's kind of the solution I think that we could create around it. So just now we manifest it. We start the we start the flame. Yeah. And then somebody listens to this down the road and they say, Hey, I have the infrastructure to do that at this school. One school does it shows the results of what happens afterwards. And then it spreads. That's well, and I'll tell you the environment, at least in this part of the world in Canada, Matt, it, the environment is ripe for that because the public school system, I have um, two of my daughters and their husbands are, are teachers or educators. And the system in Canada is failing badly, miserably. And the parents know it. It's changed even in my daughter's lifetimes. They're in their 20s now. Um, the school system has changed. It's, it's literally, catch this, they now provide Kevlar gear for the teachers in the classrooms, even the, the young kids, the, the primary juniors, because teachers aren't allowed to touch children, they're not allowed to hug them, they're not allowed to correct them, they're not even barely, they're not even allowed to protect themselves. 
If a kid goes crazy in a class and starts physical violence, all they can do is put the Kevlar gear on and, and hope the kid stops smashing at him, throwing books at him. Or as my daughter had last year, kids threw a desk at her. Wow. And, and wow. there's no children learning at that point. Learning has stopped. So there's a big window open here in Canada, and I'm assuming other parts of the world, for for a, a true education system, a true school of learning from, you know, above, down, inside, out to happen. Mm. Um, you know, coming as a serial entrepreneur, I think it's a great entrepreneurial opportunity there, but bigger picture, I think it's also just going to be good for the world to have people really take mm. ownership of, of, of the essence of who they are. Yeah. So we just, we could have drew the education card out too, and I think we just handled that. <laughs> yeah. I hey, think, you got a two for one, Matt. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, hey, I'm living a, in the Netherlands, and that's always good. <laughs> can I add a little story to that, to, to the education? Um, I saw the documentary a few years ago, I think it's in Netflix, on uh, uh, Snowden. Mm, yes. It was done by, I, I don't remember the, the director. She, she is uh, uh, she's a woman. Uh, I learned that she went to a school when uh, these teachers actually are just here to uh, help the children when, when they need it. Otherwise, they just completely choose what they do, what they want to learn, what the, the activities they want to learn. And uh, I, I learned that that woman, uh, if I'm not mistaken, she learned to, how to read at, at 15, 15 wow. years old. I, I was before that she was uh, I don't know if she was drawing or doing math or something else but she started to learn to read at 15 wow so and, and uh, who she is now and uh, the, the success she certainly has is, yeah. has nothing to do with the uh, type of uh, education she she yeah. has Oh. Yeah, no question. That's self certainly learning. not related to the classical education. Yeah. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah. So, that's and the great. brain wires itself differently if it's given the opportunity to. And they're conditioning us to have our brain wired in a way that's just a yes, sir, okay, sir, uh, whatever you, I'll do, whatever I have to do. I will memorize this. I will take a test on that. And then you mm -hmm. lose your, it, that's the beginning of losing your authentic self. It is. It really is, Matt, right? It's, it creates good little um, soldiers, uh, but it doesn't create very free-thinking people. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's just a big challenge to everybody in the world, even you know, people listening. Just challenge everything you hear and ask questions and be a free thinker. And sometimes it's not easy because you feel alone, but there's support structures built f to support you with this, like Tom's program. Absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. And to know that you're not alone and to, you know, when the more people come out and start to, to speak their truth, then we're going to have bigger changes. And I think the situation in the world today, uh, if people did this, it could change the dynamic and the change the whole narrative of it. If people stop listening to everything they see on the news. Mm -hmm. you know do do your own research and and ask questions about what is the end goal of this because it's going to be too late is what well jim Rohn. i shot a quick video yesterday i know we got to wrap this up now but i shot a quick yeah. video yesterday uh, jim Rohn had a great quote uh who's johnny robbins teacher as most people know he said you know stand guard at the entrance of your mind every day right in other words be careful about what it is that you let into your mind so I haven't watched a, uh, I haven't watched a, a full uh, TV newscast in over 30 years because I found it to be um, biased, extremely focused on the negative and driven by, you know, big business and, and political uh, agendas. And so it's like, well, that's not truth. So why would I bother? Right. And so I just haven't allowed that to enter my mind. Right. Yeah. And uh, people say, well, oh, my God, how do you know what's not going on in the world? And I say, you know what, if something is really important, someone's going to tell me. Right. There's lots of communication pathways. Right? I don't have to, you know, at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, just before I go to bed, have all that nonsense come into my mind and then, and then pollute my subconscious mind. So I agree, Matt. People need to be careful uh, of, of, of what they, you know, skimmer almost wise, stand guard at the end of your mind every day. Yeah. And then we got to develop the program Authenticity 101 to 1 million in one. Yes. Of course. Yeah. So, absolutely. So we got to wrap this up. Uh, we've taken 
taking your time and thank you for your time. It was a great show. Josh was having some technical difficulties with this uh, on his side. So he had to say goodbye early. Uh, he sent me a message to say goodbye and say it was great to have you on our show. It's an honor. And, and, and Matt, I want to be clear. Thank you so much for your kind words. But this is an investment for me, right? An investment of time with some people that I enjoy spending time with. And I support what you guys are up to. So, I mean, I, I couldn't, uh, I, I, I couldn't not be here. Let's put it that way. Um, and you know what, if there's some people out there that would love to uh, hear more about what it is we do and how we could help them um, get to what it is that they truly authentically want to do and the business that, that comes from that, I'd be happy to chat. With them. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And everything, uh, we're going to put a little recap as, uh, of the show afterwards. Cool. In in all the yeah, who said how do you say that the podcasting programs that we're connected to? Still learning how to get it on iTunes. They rejected us the first time, so we're gonna try again uh, after this one. Cool. So, as we say at the end of all of our shows, um, stay relaxed, everybody, and thank you again, Tom, for coming on our show. It's a okay. pleasure and an honor, Adrian, Matt. Yeah. Thank you. Great to see you again. You as well, Adrian. And uh, greetings to uh, Coach Fraser. I will be uh, pass that along, Adrian. Okay. Bye bye, everybody. Okay.